Hi, church. My name is Jenny Stamboli. Um, you probably heard a lot more about my husband who works in the sound booth. Um, sorry, I was going to point him out on the front row now, but he's like walking really right easy, down the right middle. <laughs> so, right on cue, honey. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm going to be reading for us today. So if we can um, turn to Exodus, we're going to be in chapter 2. And we'll be going through verses 11 through 22 today. Okay. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs of water with their to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. All right. Thanks, Jenny. As I said last week, if you weren't here last week, um, I wanted to start reading the passages that we're going to be in. Because there's a few times in Exodus we'll be in two or three verses, but there's sometimes we might read an entire chapter. I think later in Exodus we might even read a chapter or two, or maybe even three at some point. And so I just want us to see the whole picture before we jump in. That being said, if you don't know me, my name's JT. I am one of the pastors here at Freshwater. So thankful that you're here today. So thankful that you're joining us uh, for worship in this crazy time in our, in, our world, in our world. So just keep your place in Exodus. We'll get back there in a second. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I always say when I'm up here at the beginning is um, if I haven't met you, I would love to meet you after the service. I'd love to get your name. I'd love to find out how you ended up here and answer any questions that you have. And I mean that. Like, this is a safe place to be wherever you are, right? This is a safe place to have whatever questions um, that, that you have. But I want to take that a little, a little further today because the world's crazy, right? And we're all struggling with different things. We're all trying to work through different things. We're all at different places mentally and emotionally and spiritually and, and just trying to figure this thing out. And so um, one of the things I also say a lot is we, the church is meant to be a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. So a lot of times we come into church and we pretend like everything's okay and people ask us how we're doing and we say fine or good or yeah, hanging in there or whatever. But below the surface, there's usually, there's usually something going on with almost all of us. And today I feel like God's got a message for us that we need to hear, and I want us to be able to hear it. So here's, I want to start off a little bit different today. I just want to give you guys some time to pray. Because if we really believe this is a hospital for sinners, like Jesus says he's the great physician, right? He's not the great, um, I'm going to tell you what all the things that you did wrong. He's the physician to bring healing. And whatever you brought brought into the room today, whether it's, maybe it's sin, maybe it's apathy, maybe it's just distraction by the world, world, whatever it might be, whatever might get in the way from you hearing what God has for you today, your physician, your healer wants to heal those things. Even if it's terrible sin, this is where you come and you confess and you repent and you run to your Savior, you run to the cross so that you can be healed, so that you can move forward. Shame and guilt is just going to hold you back. It It won't allow you to move forward. So I want us to take time to repent or to confess, or lay whatever we need at the feet of cross, and ask him to help us to be able to hear today, to set those things aside so the Holy Spirit can do his work. And so I'm not going to even pray out loud. I'm just going to give you time to pray. I'm going to pray for myself, and then we'll jump into the word. Does that sound good? So why don't you just take to pray and confess, or we'll do whatever you need to do with the Lord before we jump in today.
Father, wherever we are, draw us into your presence today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. You guys ready to roll? All right. Well, who said let's roll? All right. Clayton's ready. All right. Let's roll. Uh, okay. So we've got a lot of new people in here. So I said as many of you probably know, but some of you probably don't. Um, before I became the, the full-time pastor in particular at Freshwater, I was a pharmaceutical salesman. As the joke goes, people always tell other people like I sold drugs before I became a pastor, right? And, that, and that's what I did. I was in pharmaceutical sales. And here's the truth. I liked my job most of the time. Like, not everybody likes their job, but I, I, I didn't love it, but I liked my job well enough most of the time. And, and I say this humbly, and you'll, you'll find out why I'm saying this in a second. I say this humbly, but I was kind of a natural at it. Right? I was kind of a natural at it because when, when you find something that you're just naturally decent at, whether that's teaching or whether that's being a physical therapist or whether that's being a stay-at-home mom or being a nurse or, or building things for a living, whatever it is, if you find something that fits in your natural gift set, it just makes that job a little easier, doesn't it? It makes you makes you the, your ability to feel fulfilled in that job a little bit easier. Like, uh, what if we all could find things that we're naturally gifted at and we operated in those things? Every job has its highs and lows, but if you're operating within your natural gift set, it just makes your job more fulfilling. And that's what I had with my job. But but here's the thing, and you've probably heard some of you have heard me say this before. As I got better and better at it. Right? As I got more and more respect at my job over time, as I made more money, there was something inside of me that still felt like just something wasn't right. And it wasn't this like big glaring thing in, it wasn't like an alarm going off, but it just felt something inside of me was well, there's something that wasn't right and I could never put my finger on it. Because I think what I mentioned before, a lot of people hate their jobs. Or a lot of people just don't like their job at all. I know a lot of you in the room right now don't really like your job. You may even hate your job. I was just talking about somebody the other day who wakes up thinking, man, I wish, I'd be, I, wish I was sick today so I didn't have to go to work, right? Every day thinking that way, right? I, I, man, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I pray that you tell me and I'll be praying that God finds something different for you. But that wasn't my case. I usually didn't wake up dreading my job. A lot of people wish they made more money. But the, the truth is, I made plenty of money to take care of my family and had a little, little bit left over. I didn't really care about making any more money than I had, yet I constantly had thoughts like, is this really what I should be doing? Is, it, is this what I'm meant for? Right? Is there something else out there? Should I be doing something else? But by the American standard version, American wealth, pr prosperity kind of Christianity, everything in my life was aligned. Everything was just as it should be. But I still have these thoughts. Is this it? Is this what I'm supposed to do? And so there were times that I felt peace. There were times that I felt fulfillment in what I did and with my family. I mean, I adore my wife and my kids. But, but, but real peace real fulfillment, true fulfillment that stuck with me, that lasted, true joy that, that it just seemed like I was constantly trying to grasp it. And every time I, I, I felt like I had a hold of it, it would just kind of leak through my fingers. As, as Solomon said, it kind of felt like vanity. I couldn't hold on to it. And here's the thing, in the end, the primary problem was not that I was doing something sinful or wrong. I had sin I needed to deal with like the rest of us, right? But the primary thing that was the problem was not that I was doing something sinful or wrong or just completely doing something against God. It's that I think that my life was just slightly off course. Not way off course, just slightly off course. I wasn't quite pointed in the right direction. And it took me a long time to realize that. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe related to anything I just said. Something in your life. Maybe, maybe you can put your finger right on it. Or maybe you can't put your finger right on it. But just something, something inside of you just feels like something's just a little bit off. Well, today we're going to jump back into the book of Exodus. If you haven't been with us, that's the series that we've been walking through in the book of Exodus. And we're going to get our first glimpse of what Moses was like when he became a man. We talked about him as a baby, but when he became a man. And what we're going to see today, it's subtle, but if you really read the passage, you're going to see Moses is a man with gifts. He's got a calling buried deep down inside of him. We see these words that are constantly peppered through the passage we read today, that, that Moses was built to be a certain kind of man, to have a certain kind of gifts, to have a certain kind of calling, but a man that hasn't really figured out who he is yet. And so those gifts, that calling is not being used in the way it should be in the way we'll see later that it could be. A man being prepared by God, but a man that hasn't fully submitted to God's call yet or realized what God's call yet. So we're going to see, if you, if you really look into what we're reading today, a man that's a little bit lost in who, about who he is, about what he's supposed to be doing. A man that, in the end, that doesn't seem 
to have peace, not real peace, that that doesn't really seem to be fulfilled. And so the question for today to start us off is, what if like me, more importantly, what if like Moses, one of the reasons that you have a hard time consistently holding on to peace or that we have a a hard time consistently holding on to joy and fulfillment is because our God-given gifts, because the call call of God on our lives is just pointed in the wrong direction. Or maybe just a little bit, a little bit off course. So today we're going to try to maybe course correct a little bit. So again, if you haven't been with us, walking through the book of Exodus, I think this is week six in our series. And where we've been lately, like we've been lately in the series, is God has made big promises in Genesis. Like we call these covenant promises, these big covenant promises in Genesis. And what we start seeing happen in Exodus is God is starting to fulfill those covenants. They're starting to come to fruition. And so where we were last week is um, Pharaoh made this huge decree in Egypt. See, what had happened is about 70 people, one family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, they came down to Egypt with huge fanfare, huge blessing. Egypt welcomed them with open arms, 70 people. But over the last 400 years, they've grown into this enormous people group. And it started to terrify Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He's like, wait a minute, these people are getting so big. If they decide to rebel on against us, it could go really bad. So what did he do? He enslaved an entire people group that came into Egypt as the blessed people are now enslaved out of fear. And enslavement didn't work. It didn't keep them from growing. He was still afraid. So what did he do next? What was the next big step? He ordered the killing of all the newborn males, all the newborn boys. Again, as I said last week, we can just leave this as a story, an ancient story, but can you imagine living through that as if being enslaved is not bad enough? Being oppressed terribly is not bad enough. They start killing all your boys. Well, Moses was one of these boys. Moses was born during this time, and his mother, so desperate to save her baby boy, puts him in a basket, sends him down the Nile River, the second largest river in the world, and just prays that God will take take care of him. Like, he's going to die. So this is a desperate mom doing a desperate action. But lo and behold, who finds Moses? The person that everyone would have least expected or wanted to find Moses, Pharaoh's own daughter, which should have meant certain death for him, yet it meant salvation. She and her ladies, remember, pull him out of the river. And she says, I'm going to adopt this child as my own, a Hebrew, the enslaved people. I can't imagine how crazy Pharaoh went later when he found this out. So she adopts him into his own family, bringing him salvation and all but guaranteeing that Moses was going to be safe for the rest of his life. That's where we're going to pick it up today. The book of Acts, it says when Moses was grown, the book of Acts tells us that Moses is around 40 years old when we start in today. And what we're going to discover is he's a man, but he is a man torn. Not seemingly not knowing who he truly is, not seemingly not knowing which way he is supposed to go. So that's where we're going to pick it up today. So let's dive back into this. Let's start back in verse 11 in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. So here's the thing with ancient writing. It's not how we would write today, but in in ancient writing, they just got right to the point. They would typically skip everything in someone's life until something very eventful happens. Do do you notice what they did with Jesus' life? Have you ever paid attention? We know all about Jesus being born, right? All about his birth. We're going to celebrate at Christmas, the Advent. And then after Jesus' birth story, what do we hear about Jesus after that? Nothing until he's in his 30s. Like one story when he was around 12. One story of Jesus' entire 30 years. Isn't that crazy? Like the Savior of the universe, but this is how ancient writing worked. And this is how it worked with Moses. We get Moses' birth, just like we did with Jesus, and then all of a sudden they pick it up when he's 40 years old. And we see a man torn here. And the reason I say he's a man torn is Moses has been obviously raised by Egyptians. 
in, in the wealth and the safety and the privilege and the pleasure that came with being an Egyptian. Yet he sees the oppression of his birth people. And it says in the passage, his people. A way you could translate that in Hebrew is my brothers and sisters. And so Moses grows up as an Egyptian. He acts as an Egyptian. He's around Egyptians, but he still sees and knows that these are his people. And he feels convicted over it. He doesn't know what to do. And so Moses, in this moment, you can imagine if you were him, he's forced to face reality. He's forced to make a decision about who he really is. I think that's what this moment is really about. Not just that Moses murdered someone, which he did, and it's terrible. Right in this moment, he had to choose. Am I really an Egyptian deep down or am I a Hebrew deep down? And he couldn't stand the oppression anymore. And so he acted, right? He acted. And in that moment, he chose his Hebrew side over his Egyptian side. A man torn chooses. I think it's in him. We're going to, we see it later. That later in the passage, we see the, the words used, Moses saved, Moses delivered. I think there's something inside of Moses that wants to save people. There's a gift set. I think it's a calling of God that wants to deliver people. If you know the story, you know how that's going to play out later, right? There's a something in, in Moses that longs for justice. And that came out in this moment. And it came out in a terrible way. Moses is a murderer. Look, it said he looked this way and that. It wasn't just all of a sudden, bang. Like he looked around to make no, sure nobody would catch him, murdered the guy, and then what did he do? Buried him in the sand, right? But in this moment, he chose like, this, this thing to save his people, to deliver his people, to, to see justice done, welled up inside of him, and he acted in a terrible way, but he acted. And a man that's been torn his whole life chose a side. And here's the thing. I think we see this. I think we see Moses murdering someone. We're like, geez, right? As I've said before, there are no heroes in the Bible other than God. If you're looking for somebody to be your hero, it better be Jesus, because otherwise you're going to be let down in this life or even in Scripture. But I think we're all Moses in this moment. Now, maybe you're not a murderer. Maybe you would never murder someone. But have you ever had a moment like this where something happened that you just couldn't handle and your passion just got ratcheted up all of a sudden? You're like, I've got to do something about this. Where someone said something or someone did something that you just couldn't stand. And so you said something or you did something in response that wasn't Christ-like at all. That was maybe just about as bad as the thing they did in the first time. They, they did in the first place. Have you ever been in that moment when you did something like that? You just shot off and you're like, what in the world have I done? Some of you introverts that never say anything, you don't get off the hook, right? Because people like me, I say stuff. I got to rein it in. But some of you have been in those moments too and you didn't say anything, but inside of you, you wrote that person off. You were done with them. You pushed them aside. You're like, whatever it was, your response in your heart was not Christ-like either. And you held on to that in a way that, that God wouldn't, have you to hold on to it. Like, listen, Moses did murder someone, right? But he responded to injustice. He responded to something terrible and it doesn't excuse it in any way. He did not respond in a Christ-like, Christ God-like way. But I think all of us at times have been like Moses. If you've been around for years, you've heard me tell this story before, but it's been a while. I remember probably 15 years ago, 12 to 15 years ago, my ex-brother-in-law, at a family get-together, said something like this. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like this. He said, I don't know why someone would put their trust in an ancient book. They put all their faith in some ancient book, meaning the Bible. That makes no sense to me at all. Now, what an opportunity I had in that moment. Right? What an opportunity I had to ask him questions, to try to seek understanding, to know why he said what he said, to, to, to really invest in that relationship and try to point him back to God and try to point him back to the gospel. But do you think that's what I did? I didn't do that. I blew up like Moses blew up. And so instead of asking questions, instead of seeking to understand, I felt like in that moment, I got to be the one to defend God. I got to be the one to defend the Bible. And listen, God doesn't need us to defend him, not in that way. Right? Yeah, we stand up for truth, but we don't need to defend him in that way. And so I went on this tangent about why the Bible is reliable, like, about why it's the most reliable ancient text that has ever existed, that why having faith in the Bible in the long run actually makes more sense than having faith in whatever you have faith on. Then I just went on a tangent to prove him wrong in every way that I could think of. Now, I had good intentions. I think. I think. But do you think I ever got to talk to my brother-in-law about Christ again? No. Not ever. 
I was Moses in that moment. See, here's the thing. And I want you to relate this back to your life. God, God built something in me that wants to teach, that wants to influence, that wants to convince, that wants to fight for the truth. And it's always been there. It's why it made me a decent salesman. But, but with my brother-in-law, my, my compass was off. Right? The direction I went with that was the wrong direction. I wasn't pointed in the right way. And I think that's what's happening with Moses here. And I think that's what happens with many of us. Right? In our own ways, in whatever way this looks like for you, in our own ways, in our own lives, with our own gifts, with the, our own things that we're naturally good at, the own things that we like to operate in, we could use those things to glorify God. We could use them to advance the gospel. We could use them to build up His church. We could use them to draw people in to make disciples. But instead of doing that, we have it pointed in our own direction, in our own way, and we respond the way that we want to instead of the way that Christ wants to, and we miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And not only is that bad for the people around us, but but we don't get to experience the fulfillment and the joy that comes with living the life that God's called us to live. Like, listen, God's calling you to live for his glory and above all else, to want to advance the gospel above all else because he loves you and he knows that's what you were built to do. Yeah, use your gifts. Listen, you don't all need to be pastors. Use your gifts for your jobs, in your lives, for your families. I'm not saying we all need to serve the church full time, but man, I am saying, I think some of us are using our gifts mostly for us on a day-to-day -day basis, and they're just pointed in the wrong direction when they should be primarily focused on God and everything else should spill out of that. And Moses in this moment, man, maybe deep down, he has a gift set to save, to deliver, to fight for justice, and those are good things, but man, was he off. When he murders a guy and buries him in the sand. And then we see kind of a sad moment. I'm gonna, the next part of the story, I'm gonna, there's gonna be a little bit of conjecture. I'm gonna fill in the gaps a little bit. So the parts that I fill in don't count as scripture. But here's what I think. I think when Moses went back and began talking with the Hebrews and he saw two of them fighting, right? And he intercedes and they're like, who are you to tell us? I think he thought he was gonna come back. And they were going to welcome him. I was like, oh man, he is one of us. Man, he's even a hero. Do you see what he did for us? Is that how they responded to him? Moses was an outsider to them. He was a poser to them. And so I don't know how this actually happened, but like, so this is conjecture, right? This is me stepping away from exactly what the Bible says for a second, but I think it's an educated, educated conjecture. I think what happened is Moses thought they'd all be on his side. But when an Egyptian overseer gets killed, do you think there's going to be an investigation into that? And who do you think they're going to blame? The Hebrews. I bet the Hebrews were terrified that they were going to come in and blame them and start killing some of them. And man, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing there was at least some of them, the first chance they got, they sold out Moses. Moses is a poser. Moses is a liar. Moses is a pretender. Why in the world would we defend him? He's one of them. See, here's the thing. He wasn't one of them. I don't know if that's how it played out, but can't you imagine that's exactly how it played out when he comes back to them and they're like, hey, I'm one of you. And they're like, who are you to tell us anything? However it happened, what we do know is it got back to Pharaoh, what Moses had done. And one more time, a little bit conjecture. Can you imagine how angry Pharaoh must have been? This Hebrew that should have been dead a long time ago, that he welcomed in his family, that he gave privilege, that he gave protection, that he took care of, that he betrayed his own edict so his daughter could keep this Hebrew and raise him as an Egyptian. And in this moment, he kills one of the Egyptians and takes the size of the Hebrew when Pharaoh's done all of this for him. Can't you imagine Pharaoh taking that position, just being livid? How dare he do this? We don't know exactly how that happened. Again, educated filling in the gaps, but what we do know is Pharaoh said, go kill Moses. And so Moses ran. He did the only thing that he could. He wasn't a Hebrew, not really. They weren't going to take him. The Egyptians didn't want him any longer, so he ran. And he ends up in a land of Midian to the far southeast. And he ends up sitting by a well in Midian. Now, I had a long section about wells and about the potential relevance here, so I'm just going to give you the real brief version because we don't have time. Wells in the Old Testament in particular, but in Scripture, tend to represent at times people turning over a new leaf or going in a new direction in their life. Do you know where the son of Abraham, Isaac, where they first encountered his wife? At a well. And Isaac's life took a turn and went in a different direction. Jacob, do you know where Jacob met his wife? At a well. And his life ended up taking a different 
direction. God moved him in another direction. And we're going to talk about Moses in a, at a well in a second. We're going to see how this well helped change Moses' life. But do you remember another story in the New Testament about someone encountering someone at a well? When Jesus met the woman at the well. And here we're talking about husbands and wives finding each other. But here's the thing with the woman at the well. She had five husbands. And the man that she was living with now was not her husband. She'd always been looking for husbands in the wrong place. Where she didn't realize, what she started to realize as Jesus was kind and gentle with her, is that her truer husband, her better husband, was not some man on earth, but her Messiah that was standing right in front of her, who saved her, who rescued her. Everything that she was looking for in other men was standing right there in her Savior. And it changed the course of her life. And what we see right now with Moses is this changes the course of his life but it's still not going to be enough for him. Let's read what I'm talking about in verse 16 as Moses sits at this well in Midian. Now, the priest of Midian, and just so you know, when we say priest, we don't mean like an Old Testament priest. For one, the law hasn't come yet. And two, he's not a priest of the God of the Bible. He actually converts to the God of the Bible. I think Exodus 17-ish. We know that he's converted to um, being an Israelite, to to worship the God of the Bible, but not yet. So this is a priest of some other religion. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their flocks. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them. There it is again. And he saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father rule, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian, what's that word? Delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, then, then where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Sipporah. She gave birth to a son and called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. I don't know if you noticed, but we actually learned a lot about Moses in this passage. Because if we just read the first half of this story... You could easily cast Moses off as like some hothead murderer with this huge temper. I mean, somebody just willing to kill someone if he doesn't get his way, right? Like you could paint Moses that way. But in this passage, it helps us give us, give us a much more well-rounded picture of who this complicated guy is. We see once again that there's something in him that wants to save, that wants to deliver, which is what he did in this, in this moment. Those are the words that were used. We see that he's, he's actually self-sacrificing and really generous. I mean, he doesn't even know these potential or these people. He's potentially risking his life for these women that he's never met before, right? Against some shepherds, right? This could have been life-threatening for him, but he stepped in to try to help them. We see that he's tough. I mean, seriously, he must have been a little bit intimidating. For Moses alone to run off all of these other shepherds, right? There's something in him that's a tough guy. And we see, man, that he must be strong. He must be vital because it was the job of seven women to water all of the flock, right? To water all of the sheep. And he ends up not only running off all the shepherds, but he takes care of all of it for them on their behalf. Right? So Moses seems to be a man built in a lot of different ways, physically, emotionally, maybe even spiritually, built to be a part of rescuing people. If only that was pointed in the right direction. Well, the daughters Moses rescued at the well... As you saw in the story, they came back to their father, Rule, the priest, which we're going to learn in just a few more verses. He also goes by the name Jethro. And they came back to their father, Rule, Jethro, the priest, and they tell him what happened. And man, he just welcomes Moses into the family with open arms. It seems like how it goes. Like, why are you leaving him out there, man? Bring him in here. Let's feed this guy. And so as if it wasn't enough that, that Moses rescued his seven daughters, that he was going to like this guy right away. Man, Midian at this time, as far as we know, like just ancient history, Midian was kind of being oppressed by Egypt. Kind of had, Egypt kind of had their thumb on them. They were arguably the most powerful force in the world. So anybody running away from Egypt that wants nothing to do with Egypt is probably going to be welcomed with open arms a little faster than other people. But more than that, the Midians actually come from the line of Abraham. And so I don't know how aware of, the, of all this that, that they were, but they're kind of, they're family, ancient family from way back, but, but they're family. So it seems kind of like an obvious fit. Like this is a great place for Moses. Like he can leave his old life behind. He can come here. He gets to marry one of Rule's daughters. Like he marries her and they have a son. They have a family. He's safe here. They're kind of ancient family, kind of in a way. Man, this is a place where he can really grow and thrive. But did you see there's something in what we just read that showed that Moses wasn't at peace here. That maybe he should have been. He had a lot of things that we all want. A family, a safe place, people who love him, but he doesn't really seem to be at peace. Do you, do you see where we can tell that? 
with his son's name. He named his son Gershom, which means I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Remember in the Old Testament in particular, and New Testament too, names were a big deal. We're going to see just how big of a deal names are when God tells us his name in a few more chapters, right? But names were a big deal. But Moses names his son not power or holiness or goodness or greatness or the light. He names his son, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Looked at the Hebrew, and that's a good translation, but the actual direct translation, you can see how this wouldn't have worked in a sentence as well, but how the, the direct translation of the Hebrew is an alien there. An alien there. Moses is here, but he still feels like an outsider. He's still a foreigner. I want you to picture this for a second. He wasn't a Hebrew because he grew up as an Egyptian. He's not an Egyptian because they all actually knew he was a Hebrew. Plus, he's been exiled for murder, so he's definitely not an Egyptian anymore. And he's not a Midian because these aren't, this isn't his land. This is not his people. He knows where he comes from, but he can't go back to this place. And so we leave our passage today with Moses being torn about the man he is, a man that's not at peace, a man that's saying, man, I, I'm here and I have a family and I even have a son, but I'm still just an alien in a strange place. He doesn't seem a man that's found his fulfillment, that's found his purpose, that has found peace yet. But also a man seemingly with a call, with a gift, to save, to redeem, to deliver. A man seeking for justice, that longs for justice, that longs to see the right thing done. Therefore, a man that should have a purpose in his life, but he's, he just can't seem to find it yet because something doesn't feel quite right. You know, in the two parts of this story, we see two different Moseses. And is that not the, the story of our lives too? If you look at different parts of our lives, we're still the same person, but we're also in a lot of ways, we're a different person at the different phases of our life. And I think that's what we see with Moses. In the first half, we see a man rapidly changing, a man pursuing things in his own way instead of God's way. I mean, he murdered someone that is not God's way, right? But a man that feels like something needs to be done, but he's going to do it in the way that he thinks it needs to be done. And a man seemingly lost about who he really is. And then the second half, we see a Moses that, that's way more settled, right? He now, ha- like I said, he has a home. He has a wife. He has a family. They, that, they seemingly care for him, yet he's still not at peace. Yet he's still focused on, I'm an alien here. He still doesn't feel quite right. I'll say this one more time, church. I, I think Moses is all of us. I think Moses is all of us. I think there's people in this room right now that are not pointed in the right direction. And I think some of you know you're not pointed in the wrong direction. And again, when I say wrong direction, it could be that you're running 180 degrees in the wrong way. You're running the opposite way of God. But it also could just be that, man, you're just a little off. You're not quite pointed where you need to be. And I've used this illustration before, but if you're walking down a path, a straight path, and you just take a small little detour, at first it doesn't seem like a big deal, but if you walk that path long enough, you can end up miles and miles and miles away from when you first started and you just deviated a little bit. So no matter where you come from today, I think some of us are way off. We're, going, we're running in completely the wrong direction or some of us are just a little bit off. And for those of you that are a little bit off, man, you have gifts. You have talents. You have abilities. And hear me, if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know what my gifts are, I don't really have any gifts. Yeah, listen, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what I'm talking to you right now. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, Scripture promises it in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit has given you gifts. God has given you a purpose. You have talents. You have abilities. They're given to you. Do you know why the primary reason they're given to you? To glorify God and to build up his body, the church. That is the primary thing, to lift each other up. Not for you not for your job. And listen, it's okay to use your gifts at at your job. It's okay to use your gifts for worldly things, but they're primarily given to you to glorify God and to lift up the body of the church so that we're all stronger, so that we can all go do the work that God has built us to do, so that we can find fulfillment and joy and wholeness in who we're meant to be. That's what those gifts are for. And you have, whether you can see it or not, you have those gifts. God's built them into you. He's built them into you. But you're either using them for sinful things Or hear me, it doesn't even have to be sinful things. It can just be a focus on worldly things. 
You're using how God built you, not primarily for Him, but primarily, this is bold, but I want you to hear it, primarily for you. Even if you're doing a job that you hate, but it keeps you from ever focusing on God, that's still you using your gifts primarily for you. Because you're focused on you. Because I've known people that have hated their jobs, but served God with a passion, and that, that, that hatred of their job was overrided by a joy in Jesus Christ. So instead of feeling, because of that, because you're just pointed in the wrong direction, you're, using, you're not quite using them like God would have you use them for your sake, for the body of the, of the church's sake, for the sake of His name. Man, it's hard for you to hold on to genuine peace. It's hard for you to consistently feel fulfilled. And I'm guessing for some of you, there is something buried inside of you, whether it's obvious or buried deep down inside, that knows there's just got to be something more. There's just got to be something more. I've seen this particularly during this time of COVID. And I know we're all sick of talking about this, but this is the reality that we're in. We've got to face this again and again and again. Because here's the thing. It has been so easy to remain isolated. It's been so easy to be, remain distance from people. I don't mean six feet. I mean just away from people, distance from people, not engaging like we used to. It's been so easy, hear me, I say this in love, to be self-focused. Because whether you're wallowing by yourself in depression or you're just keeping everybody at a distance because it makes your life easier, that's still self-focused. And the worst thing that we can be is focused on ourselves. It leads to all kinds of damage. All kinds of damage. So we're self-focused. And we forget, some of us have forgotten that we are built to pour into others and have them pour into us. We are built for community. We are built to do this together. That is how God built us. And so because of that, a lot of us are feeling the strain, man, the strain emotionally, the strain mentally, the strain spiritually, just trying to own us. And it's just, over time, it's not gotten better because you know what? It's gotten easier to stay away from people. It's gotten easier just to kind of push people to the side. It's gotten easier not to engage like we used to. And here's the thing. I've talked to so many people about this in the last three weeks. I've had to force myself to make sure I'm engaged and I'm pouring into people. I'm making those calls and I'm meeting with people for lunch and breakfast, everything I can do to stay engaged. And here's the thing. Virtually every person I've talked to knows that it's, t it's a terrible thing for them. That's not good for them to disengage. I mean, you know I'm not, I've never been really big on you got to be at church every single week. I think you should be here every single week, but some churches just hammer you with that. That's never been me. But I've talked to so many people, like just where they are, that used to be at church every week, now show up once or twice a month. Why? Because they just got used to not being here. And then it becomes easier and easier not just to come. Or... Hey, listen, could be engaging with your family or engaging with friendships that you know are important, engaging with people that you know build you up. It's just gotten over time because we distance, just easier not to do it. And the crazy thing is, we know it's bad for us. Isn't that, this is something we talk about in life group all the time, isn't it guys? We do the things that we know are not going to benefit us as a person, our soul, yet, and it may be terribly sinful things or it may just be numbing out things. We know it's not good yet we still long for that thing we know is going to be detrimental to our soul. Welcome to the human condition. And COVID has just made all of those things so much easier to give into. So maybe, maybe God is calling you, some of you out of the place that you're in now so that he can bring you into something different. Just like he did when he brought Moses out of Egypt, took him to that well and started a new path for his life. Maybe God today is trying to point you in the right direction. Again, because he loves you and maybe because he wants more for you than you even want for yourself right now. But I think some of you are like the Midian Moses. Maybe not perfectly, but, but I think some of you in this room feel like that you're, you're really trying to live the life that you're supposed to live. Right? You're, you're None of us are perfect, right? None of us do this perfectly, but you're, you're, you're striving to give your gifts and your talents for the sake of the Lord. You're striving to do the right thing. You're pursuing the right things, yet there's this unease, there's this unquietness inside of you that there, there should be something different, right? It, it should be a little different than it is right now. And I don't think that Moses felt this way in Midian, like, I'm just an alien here, like, he didn't have peace. I don't think it's because Moses was necessarily doing the wrong thing. 
I think it's because God was preparing him for something more. And for Moses' time in Midian, what God was telling him was, wait. Wait. If you know the rest of the story, God has huge things for Moses. But Moses had to wait and wait and wait, just like his ancestor Abraham after God promised him a son and he waited 10 years and then he waited 20 years and he came back to God like, God, where are you? You said you promised me a son, but it's been two decades and I'm an old man and I still don't have a son. But what did God say to him? I keep my promises and I love you. Wait. I think God's telling some of you to wait. So my question for you is you think like maybe this is you. I am trying to pursue the Lord. I am trying to give my gifts and talents primarily to him, but it's not your life's not where you feel like it should be. There's still something in it. Let me ask you, how well do you wait? Not the American mentality, I'll tell you that. How wait do you how well do you wait on the Lord? How do you do in those times when God is calling you to patience? Times when he's simply asking you, like this is a simple request. Wait. You know, just this week I had a conversation with a guy in our church about this. And he, and he, he kept thinking that things were going to work out at his job. And here's the thing. He thought they would work out. I'll even go this far. It felt like they should have worked out. Like that's just how it was supposed to go. And tons of stress and tons of toil and tons of prayer and tons of wandering went into this thing, right? And it, it just, it was going to work out. It should have worked out. But I'll tell you what, it didn't work out. It didn't work out the way it was supposed to. And it was so much time. It was so much waiting. And, and in the end, I think there was times that, that he just felt like God wasn't really listening. He knew that he was, but it felt like God wasn't really listening. At times, it just felt like it wasn't fair. And honestly, it seemed like that to me at times. Like I was praying and praying and praying and praying, and it just didn't work out like it was supposed to work out. Supposed to, right? It just didn't seem, it almost didn't seem fair. It just didn't hardly seem to make sense. But we kept talking about maybe it's just time to wait. But man, waiting's hard when you know things need to change. When Listen, not that you just know they need to change. You actually need them to change. You don't just want them to change. You need them to change. Yet God's response is, wait. And you know what? Lo and behold, when he was least expecting it out of nowhere, God provided a job out of the blue. It just fell in his lap at a time when it almost felt like we were giving up, right? A job where he's going to make more money, a job where he's going to have way more flexibility to, to pour into other people, to do the ministry that God's called him to do, right? To help lift up his body of the church, to use his gifts, and more time to pour and invest in his family. God was there. God was telling the way. God was present among him the whole time. But it's hard to wait. So whether we lack peace and fulfillment because our lives are pointed in the wrong direction, or whether God is just using this time right now telling us to wait in, pre in preparation for bigger and maybe even better things, listen, in both situations, God is faithful to you. Even if you're completely blowing it, God is faithful to you, believer. See, here's one of the most encouraging things about this story for me today, is that we don't live in the time of Moses. We live in the time of Christ. We live in a time that they were longing, that it says in the New Testament, all of the prophets, Moses being the example to all prophets and priests. They, they says in the New Testament, the Old Testament prophets were longing for a day to see what we get to see, to know that we get to know, that the Messiah has come, that the Messiah has come, and he's the true rescuer, the one who truly brought salvation, the one who went to the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be made new, so that we might come into the presence of God. We live in the time of Christ, and praise God for that. A time when God has done so much for us and he has said to us, hey, come to me. No matter what it is, I'll forgive you. You come to me. My son died on the cross so that you could be forgiven. He paid for your sins. You come to me and you can be forgiven. You come to me and I'll give you peace. You come to me and I will point your heart and your soul in the right direction. You come to me and I will show you my will. For God's Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And if you don't know much about the Old Testament, that is not how it was in the Old Testament. They didn't have the Spirit of God dwelling in them like we do now. Jesus Christ has made us new, has made us righteous so God's own presence can dwell in us and guide us through these things. So if your life has been 
a little off track, if you've been a little too self-focused, if you've made some really big mistakes, or if you've just simply like kind of gotten lost in the shuffle of this crazy world for a time, listen, come back to your Savior. He died on the cross so that He could be your physician, so that He could bring healing, so that He could call you back, so that you could lay all those mistakes at the foot of the cross, be forgiven, And hear me, this is important. Not just forgiven, so that you could be forgiven and then move forward. As Philippians said, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward into the upper call of God. He wants more for you to find freedom and fulfillment in Him and in the call that He has for your life because He does have a call for your life. We all know that living in sin or living for ourselves is just going to lead us to feeling hollow and apathetic and like we've got like there's something better out there for us than what we're experiencing right now. Well, the good news is through Jesus Christ there is something better. There is something so much better for you than just getting by. The joy of a life given to love and to serve and to glorify God and call other people into that joy too. Will you turn your life Will you turn your gifts? Will you turn your time back to God and give all those things to Him first? And for those of you that are in the room that feel like, man, my life is dedicated to God. Again, not perfectly. I know we can say that humbly, but you're really striving for that. You're striving to give yourself to Him. You feel like there is something more for you. Listen, maybe God has you in a time of waiting just like Moses. And it's sometimes in the waiting, in those in-between times, that God does more for your heart, for your mind, for your faith than any other time. Because we're all looking to God during the highs and lows. At the extreme highs when we're just praising God or the extreme lows when we're just desperate for God, that's when God does a lot of His best work. But if we can learn to trust God in the waiting to have faith when we don't see and we don't understand, but we, re- we remind ourselves over and over that He is good, that He loves me, that He's leading me in the direction He wants me to go. If you can have faith during those times, well, you can have the faith to make it through anything. So if you feel like you're, that's me, I feel like that might be me. I'm in that time of waiting. I'm telling you, constantly renew your heart and mind. Because when it gets, when things get tragic or you desperately need God, you'll probably be in the Word or pray more. No, right now in the waiting, you pray. You renew your heart and mind in the Word. You renew your heart and mind through prayer, talking with your God, spending time with your God. And you renew your heart and mind through community because you were never meant to do this alone. Constantly renewing your mind. Press into Christ even more and have your mind renewed. And I'm telling you, God will show you his will for you. He will. Hear this part too. And it may not be on your timeline. It'll be on God's timeline. And God's timeline is better. You don't see what he sees. His timeline is better. So you wait. Because maybe like Moses, God has things for you that you have no idea that you couldn't even fathom around the corner for you. But he's teaching you how to trust him in the time of waiting so you'll be prepared for your faith to be built and strong in what he has for you in the future. As I've said before, as I said at the beginning, never, never, never did I think I was going to be a pastor. Yet over the years... One step at a time. This didn't happen all of a sudden for me, right? One step at a time, God helped me walk out of my sin because I had sin issues I needed to deal with. And he helped me walk out of my sin. And then after I started walking out of my sin, God helped me walk out of my self-focus, always thinking about me and how I'm going to use my gifts for me and my family and, and my people instead of God first. And then he, he helped me walk away of trying, trying to find my fulfillment in worldly things, trying to find my joy in worldly things that can never fulfill me, that can never sustain me. And then he helped me walk into finding my fulfillment in him above all else. And it took time. And it took me patiently waiting, but God pointed me in the right direction and then he showed me where I could use all of my gifts for the sake of his name, for the sake of his church, for the sake of my community. And I'm telling you, there is so much joy there. I think you can see the joy that I have in the Lord and that has nothing to do with me bragging. You can see that this is real for me. I walked away from, in a lot of ways, a a very minor version of the American dream and this is better. 
This is real joy. This is real fulfillment. And yes, I have highs and lows like everybody else, but Jesus is with me because I live primarily for him. I do. I say that humbly because I was doing it wrong and God changed everything. It is because of Jesus that I'm pursuing him more than first thing and primarily in my life. Not because of me. And there's more joy than I've ever had in my whole life. Listen, God's not calling all of you to be pastors. He's not calling all of you to be full-time church employees, but God does have a role for you. A role to bring Him glory. A role to advance the gospel. A a role to lift up His bride, the church. The church who Jesus calls the hope of the world in Christ. But He uses us. We are His hands and feet. We are the hope of the world, church, in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit by the plan of the Father. God has a role for you that will bring you lasting joy and hope and fulfillment. I don't mean everything's going to be perfect. But through the highs and the lows, through the good and the bad, you will have something you can hold on to and you won't have to constantly think there's got to be something more because you'll know that Jesus is the, the more that you can't get enough of. So where do you need to turn to Him, church? What do you need to lay down before your Savior, church? Where in your life do you need to talk to God and ask Him to help you to wait and then show you what He has for you down the road? The real question today is where and with what in your life you need to fully submit to Christ so that you can turn and go. So that you can turn and go. Where do you need to be turned from being pointed in the wrong direction to be pointed squarely back on Christ? So as the worship team comes up and starts to play, here's what I want to do today. Kind of like we started at the beginning, I just want to give you time to pray. I'll close this out in the end, but I want you to think, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, where do I need to turn my my focus back to you and then hear me and then listen? It's so hard to turn away from the things in our life that feel primary to make God primary and use our gifts, our talents, our times for Him first. It's hard But God wants more for you. Where do you need to turn? Where do you need to learn to wait? Where do you need to change direction? I want you just to to go before the Lord, to lay it at His feet, to talk to Him, and ask Him to help you to move forward. And then I'll close this in prayer.